keep playing and just keep on worshiping, but it might be unfair to them because we only practiced so many songs for this. Um, if you want to hear more, you can always come back to the next service, right? So we're diving into this series. Uh, John Brandon kicked it off for us last week, um, and this, this series um, is the sayings of Jesus on the cross. I mean, it was really cool because Barry and I, and we, we talked about this, and this idea came up that let's do this series and just invite um, different speakers. It's weird calling myself a preacher, still just getting used to that, but still getting, getting some pastors to, to share um, in different aspects uh, of, of the cross. And as we dive through this series, um, we, we look at John Branding last week as he looked at, today you will be with me in paradise. And then this morning, um, our passage in John, as Lindsay just read for us, we're looking at Jesus' words. It's really one phrase in Greek, translated into three words for us. It is finished. And so that's what we're diving into this morning. But some of you may say, well, why are we doing this series? What's this series? Well, we're looking at Jesus' last words. In a time of Lent, in a time where we're supposed to be preparing our hearts to, to walk with Jesus as what he went through as he faced crucifixion, but then also to prepare our hearts to celebrate three days later at his resurrection. Last words are important in just about every culture throughout history. Last words have been recorded. You look in the scriptures, you have patriarchal blessings and covenants and promises that are made with last words. You've got them with Isaac to Jacob and then Jacob to Joseph. And you see it time and time again in scripture. Even King David on his deathbed says, Solomon, come close. You're about to be king. I've got some words of wisdom for you. David's giving his son, who would be the wisest man of all, words of wisdom on his deathbed. And he tells him, remember Remember the covenant, remember the commands of the Lord. Put God first. Some good words. But then David is also kind of like a mob boss, and he puts a hit out on two or three of his generals and says, don't trust them, actually have them killed, and Solomon follows through with it. You don't believe me? It's written down, I promise you can find it in Scripture. Last words are important, and they say something about us. Nostradamus, some people think, man, he was a fraud. Well, he got this one right, his last words. Tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. <laughs> Pretty good. There was a murderer, James W. Rogers, who was put in front of a firing squad in Utah, and they said, do you have any last requests? And he says, yes, bring me a bulletproof vest. <laughs> uh, the drummer, Buddy Rich, any, anybody know who that is? One of the greatest drummers to ever live. He died in 1987. Um, and he was getting ready to go into surgery that he did not come out of, and the nurse asks him, is there anything you can't take? Buddy Rich says, yes, country music. (laughs) Bob Marley's last words, money can't buy life. Thomas Edison, it is very beautiful over there. One of my favorites is a set of brothers who played tag throughout their life about seven decades, every time they saw each other when one was leaving, one would tag the other and say, you're it. And on his deathbed, Richard Mellon calls his brother over and says, last tag, you're it. Those are his last words, and he dies. So four years later, his brother died, but he lost because he was it. (laughs) So some final words are funny. Some people just want to say something funny or be remembered, or some are very serious. But in our series, we're looking at Jesus, who is in agony on the cross. 
And these are the words that he thought were important enough to say. And so this morning we look at, it is finished. It is finished. This word is tetelestai in the Greek. We're not going to dive into a bunch of this, but it's only used twice in all of Scripture. Tetelestai, it is finished, that is as translated, and some of yours may say it is accomplished or it is completed, but tetelestai is only used twice, and the other time it's used is just two verses prior to our verse this morning in John 19, 28, where it says Jesus realized that all things were now finished. But the root word, teleo, is used 26 times in the New Testament. 26 times the root word that Jesus uses here 26 times in the New Testament, but here's the great thing. Just like the English language, there's so many words that we have that you say it one way and it means something completely different if you say it again a different way. This word has three different meanings, and if you look through Scripture, which we're going to look through, as we look through Scripture, teleo has three specific main meanings that it's used for. And that's what we're going to walk through this morning. And the first one is this. Teleo means to bring to an end or to a close. So what's ending here? on the cross. What's being brought to a close here on the cross? Jesus' earthly life, his suffering, his earthly ministry, his pain, his earthly race has come to a close. We'll put like a bracket there for now. Those are the physical things that have come to an end. But what about the spiritual? What else had come to an end? And it's this, the power of sin and death. The power of sin and death has come to an end. Jesus says, it is done. It is ended. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57, it says, When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin and death, the things that separated us from our eternal creator, Jesus says, it is ended. It is no more, it is brought to a close. No longer will sin and death have power over my people. So much so that just as we sang this morning in Matthew 27, 52, that when Jesus dies... And he breathes his last. He says, it is done. It is finished. Death, you have no more power. Matthew 27, 52 says, literal tombs were opened and the saints began to walk out of them. Death was erased and the the life was given back to these people. The dead were raised from the dead because they had faith in him. So what was ended? If we look at this root word to leo and Jesus says, it is ended, it is done. The power of sin and death is done. What else was ended on the cross? Our separation from the Father. Matthew 27, 51 tells us that the curtain of the temple, the entrance to the Holy of Holies was torn in two completely. You're like, what's what's the big deal of that? Well, a couple things here. The Holy of Holies was where God's presence dwelt. That was a place that only one man, once a year, was allowed to walk into. The high priest of Israel. 
He was allowed to go in one time a year after weeks and weeks of ritual cleansing. If he went in and he had sin in his life, he was to be struck down in the presence of the Lord. This was a serious deal. Only one person was allowed access to God. And what separated God from the people and the rest of the temple? This massive curtain built with specific instructions. It was about as thick as a phone book. And I don't know about you guys, I've seen Hulk Hogan rip a t-shirt. But I don't know if he could rip a piece of hand-woven cloth that is as thick as a phone book. This is not your Kirkland sheer curtain. This is a thick piece of cloth. And it says, when Jesus died, that veil, that curtain that separated us from the presence of the Father was torn in two. So what ended on the cross? Our separation from the presence of God. He granted us access. The second meaning this morning, the second meaning is to perform, execute, complete, fulfill, or accomplish something as pertaining to a command. We could spend all day diving into this one, but what did Jesus fulfill or accomplish or complete on the cross? Only the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. Tom Cruise may have like five mission impossibles, but he couldn't even do this. Jesus willingly took on a mission that he didn't have to take on. He stepped out of righteous perfection into our unholy mess for his detriment, but for our hope of salvation. So I was speaking with John Branding earlier this week um, as, as we were talking about this series, and I started picking his brain about military stuff. And some of y'all out there know all about military stuff. My military expertise comes from one summer where I was sent to military camp because my parents didn't want me to be a bad kid. My older brother, Chad, was the bad kid. He got kicked out of a couple schools, did some really dumb things, and I was, like, pretty smart. I just watched him and went, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do that. But I like to talk, so I got in trouble at school a little bit for talking too much or being too hyper, like, made straight A's. Wasn't, like, arrested or anything, but they're like, well, we don't want you to be like your brother. You're going too. Okay. He goes, oh, me, to Bunker Hill Military Camp in Georgia, which, by the way, is no longer around because of the way they treated children. So, um, <laughs> so me and my brother go, and we're like, oh, summer camp. Oh, they, like, pick us up. Your parents aren't even allowed to drop you off at the place. They, like, meet you at a hotel, and they're like, get in the truck. And we're like, oh, God. So we get in, we go to Bunker Hill Military Camp, and this is like, they're just like, they give you this quiz, and however high you rank on the quiz is where you rank with your officer status in your cabin with your group, and I'm Private First Class Phillips. Um, And like, the punishment is always PT. You're doing physical training, doing wall sits and leg lifts and all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm 11. Like, (laughs) what do you want from me? And I I just remember, like, some of these kids in our cabin, I'm in the, like, 11 and 12-year-olds, my brother's, like, 15, 16, and, like, then there's the foxtrot. They had the red berets, they're the really bad kids, like, they threw bug spray in the fire, it blew up, caught a bunch of people on fire. It's like, oh, this is a fun summer camp, I'm excited. It's like the kids were talking about, why are you here? And you've got, like, three 12-year-old felons in your room. They're like, oh, what'd you do? Talked in math class. So, yeah, I'm hard. But so, so we, I'm talking with John Branding about military stuff, and, and I ask him, like, what is the definition, or, or why do we consider, when a mission is ended, we don't just say, oh, a mission's ended. It's either failed, 
or it's accomplished. And so this meaning of teleo is, the, the meaning here is to accomplish, to fulfill, to complete something, not just end something. And he says, when we were in um, military school, he said, we were taught some of the teachings of a Prussian general, Karl von Clausewitz. He wrote a book called On War. And he said, I'm going to paraphrase him for you. And he said this, the mission in war is to disarm the enemy, leave him helpless, and militarily incapable to stop the offensive force from achieving their goals. Jesus' mission was to go behind enemy lines. He left the glory of the heavenly realms. He entered into the broken world that is us as a baby. He was to live a sinless, righteous life that the first Adam could not do and did not do. All the while experienced the fullness of humanity. Hunger, thirst, anger, pain, suffering, joy, laughter, heartbreak, friendship. And then, at the end of it all, to love us enough. To peacefully give himself up, to be tortured and crucified so that we could have life. That's an easy mission, right? No. But because of that mission, he left Satan powerless. He left Satan defeated. He took away his weapons of sin and death. He accomplished this goal. Jesus humbled himself to follow the commands of the Father, to be obedient to the will of the Father. As Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus, who though he was God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. This is what Jesus accomplished. Defeated sin and death, accomplished the mission, did the righteous life that we could not live, and died the death so that we could have life. What else is he fulfilling? The prophets. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, God gives the first prophecy of the coming Savior. He'll be bruised on the heel, but he will crush the head of the enemy. He fulfills all the law and the prophets as we just sang. So much so that he opens up salvation to all of us. The law that kept Moses out of the promised land, Jesus fulfilled it. So that the unrighteous man, just like last week, the unrighteous man hanging on the cross beside him could have life eternal in paradise. And the last way that teleo is used in scripture is this, to pay. To pay something. In early Greece, they would literally write the word teleo on a bill or a business deal if something was done to, to, to represent that this has been paid in full, this has been completed, this deal is finished, it's done, it's paid. So if Jesus was saying this, it is paid on the cross. It is paid. He is paying a debt that none of us could ever pay. See, in the early 2000s, there was this movement going on. I'm sure many of you remember it or have been part of it, but it was called the Pay It Forward movement. And people would do random acts. There were some rules, like you had to be surprised someone with a random act of kindness, and you were trying to do it anonymously because it wasn't about, hey, I want all the glory for this, but it's, let's pay it forward, let's do something nice. And the third one was, hey, it's a movement, so I'm going to pay it forward for you, so you go pay it forward for someone else. 
See, a couple of years ago, um, they had this radio store where there was like, oh, in Wisconsin, at this fast food restaurant, there was like 300-something cars that went through this drive through line, and everyone paid for the next person's food. And everybody's like, that's a cool idea. So people like started doing that. First off, if you're like the 330th person, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. And you like end the story, like, what a jerk. <laughs> I was in one of those lines in Chick-fil-A several years ago. Abby and I were like just married, first year school teacher, first year student pastor. We didn't have a whole lot, but I'm grabbing some Chick-fil-A. She used to yell at me all the time for eating out. You know, that's where half our salary went. No big deal. So <laughs> the person at the register, I get there. I'm like, yeah, number one, whatever. And she's like, oh, the person in front of you paid your meal. I'm like, sweet. She's like, yeah, it's been going on for like 10 or 15 cars. And I'm like, oh. Because I'm like, I can't. So I ask, how much is that one? <laughs> like, I'm worried, man. I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot. I want to make sure. Why do I ask that question? Why do I ask that? Because I want to make sure that I can pay, that I have enough to pay for the person behind me. They just got a T, so it was really good. I like won the lottery. <laughs> so I was like, yes. But I just hope one day I go through one of those drive throughs in a church van with like 12 students and like really give the person in front of us something to think about. Like, it's been going, it's $300. Oh, um. But it was pay it forward, pay it forward, pay it forward. Eventually, someone got there, and they didn't have enough to pay their bill. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, we owe in a payment of death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. The payment of sin is death, and we all owe it. Eternal separation from the Father, but enter Jesus. The one who lived the righteous life that we couldn't, so that he could pay the debt, not just for one of us, but for all of us. As the song tells us, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. My sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed me, white as snow. So this morning as we celebrate and we remember and we prepare our hearts for this holy meal, Jesus said on that cross that it is finished. It is finished. The power of sin and death are at an end. They are ended. The very presence of God is open to all people. His mission, the greatest rescue mission in history, has been accomplished. And he said it is paid. He paid a price that we couldn't so that we could have eternal life with him. And so as we prepare our hearts for this holy meal, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave himself up, he took the bread, he gave thanks to the Father, he broke the bread, he gave it to disciples, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to the Father. He poured the cup and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, 
by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes and we feast at his heavenly banquet, through your son Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.